Welcome to God in the Ordinary, a podcast to help you reveal God to others during your everyday. Special guests share their stories with songwriter and author Sharon Tedford. Today's guest has learned how to come alongside people who desperately need help. He's passionate about serving the vulnerable and the broken and is keen to share the truth that we can all join in with this pursuit. My guest, IJM's Country Director Cambodia, Jacob Sims. Jake, I am so pleased to be able to introduce you to everybody. Would you tell us where you are today? I am in Phuket, Thailand. Very good. And why are you there? Are you on vacation? Are you on holiday? I'm actually here for business uh, for International Justice Mission, uh, the organization that I work for. That's great. So I'm sure that if you listen carefully, everybody, you might even hear some of the chirping of the insects and stuff. Jake, are you there on your own? Or are you there with family? I am with my wife, Rachel, and our two daughters, Evelyn and Rosemary. Evie is two and a half, and Rosie is just about six months old. This is one of my favorite things, you know. I just want to pause and say, it's really great when listeners contact us and say, I've got a story I want to share with you. And we say, wonderful, come join us. So Jake is an avid listener. You know that we ask every guest to share a reflection on Isaiah 61. And you are no exception, my friend. Could you please share your reflection? Sure, absolutely. Isaiah 61, for me, is about solidarity. It's about how taking on the pain of the vulnerable lies at the very core of what it means to be Christian and, in a real sense, human. As a Christian, I'm forever bound up in the story of Jesus and its implications for our lives. The radical narrative of his life on this earth is, to me, the living, breathing good news, the answer to these damning questions posed here in Isaiah about the separation between rich and poor. Jesus willingly took on material poverty and eventually marginalization to state violence in order to demonstrate a radical solidarity with the vulnerable and the broken. Over and over and over again, he asks us to do the same. His good news was not delivered as a proposal to program and legislate poverty and sin out of existence or to maintain an arbitrary distance between it and himself. Rather, it was and is a revolutionary call to share love and offer solidarity to others who suffer. Yet, what does that word solidarity even mean? Solidarity is not slum tourism or development or progress or even charity in the traditional sense. Solidarity is that moment when we realize that despite our differences in the uncrossable chasms of our divergent worlds, that we have something undeniably in common with our fellow human. It is in such moments that true generosity is born. That deeper, almost irrational generosity in which control is released, power is given up for the good of another. In such moments, there is something vital and lasting, something truly radical and transcendent. Yet, 
Distance and barriers between lives like mine and those crushed under the weight of poverty and violent oppression in the U.S. and around the world are enormous. And ultimately, we can't plan or solve or program these injustices out of existence. That's not to say that we shouldn't try. We absolutely should. However, victory on such noble fronts is just not what we were promised. Rather, God promises that he cares about the poor. He asks us to care about them as well. He shows us through his son that if we really and truly care about the poor, we will move into solidarity with them to such an extent that it will cost us our personal comfort, our safety, our security, and maybe even our lives. A reminder of that fact is what Isaiah 61 is for me. Thank you, Jake. That's a really poignant reflection. The first time I read that, it moved me to tears. So are we actually really able to take on the pain of the vulnerable? No, I don't think we can. Um, Ultimately, we are human and we're limited by our particular experience uh, and our particular view that we are coming from. And we aren't promised that we can solve these problems and we're not promised that we can be ultimately and transcendentally uh, empathetic with people who have been through things that we haven't been through. But again, we're asked to care, and if we care, we're asked to try. That's really good. We're asked to care, and if we care, we're asked to try. So it doesn't matter what kind of pain or vulnerability we see in people. It's not okay for us to say, oh, I don't understand your pain, and walk away. Is it the way that Christ would have responded? And we aren't Christ. Uh, we aren't the flesh of God embodied uh, in human form. We, we have our own foibles and flaws. And I think it is okay for us to know ourselves and to walk away from situations and not to feel like we have to solve all of the world's problems. We are not called to be a heroic people, but rather we have a heroic God who keeps coming alongside us. Um, And so very frequently, I actually think we're called to direct our attention and our focus and our energies where God is leading us and where he's placed our skills and our experiences and our passions. Um, That's oftentimes what we refer to as our call. Maybe a call is actually more than that, but that is at least a part of it. Uh, And no, we're not called to solve these problems, but I think we're called not to turn away from them in coldness or indifference. That's a really helpful way to put it, because God, as you said, has given us gifts. We should use them in whatever way that is. And sometimes walking away from an issue, praying about it, yeah, but walking away from it might be the right thing to do. We just have to ask God to tell us in every situation. You know, you just spoke about violent oppression. Could you explain to us what that means? Sure. So violent oppression is when someone who has power uses that power to coerce or deceive somebody else into doing something against their will. And so violence is a means that is used to coerce people. And so when I'm referring to violent oppression, I'm talking principally about the situation in which the people that IJM serves around the world are in, where uh, they are living in poverty. They're living without privilege, without means to protect themselves. Oftentimes they're living outside the protection of a functioning public justice system, a functioning rule of law that is there working on their behalf to prevent people from exploiting them. And a violent exploitation 
comes about when people take advantage of that space. So anytime around the world when we see large numbers of vulnerable people and then powerful people who are not held to account, uh, we will see violent crime and violent exploitation against the poor flourish. How does International Justice Mission, or IJM, tackle these vast and important issues? IJM is the world's largest anti-slavery organization, and we are a global organization that exists for this purpose of protecting the poor from violence. So there are a lot of ways that you could go about that mission or that vision. The way that IJM does it is that we come alongside public justice systems, so government partners in our host countries. So IJM has program offices in 14 different countries around the world where we are attempting to catalyze a capacity and a commitment within those public justice systems to care about protecting the poor from violence. And so that looks different in the different regions around the world that we work in. In Cambodia, we work as a part of what IJM calls our forced labor slavery hub, where we are combating a particular form of labor exploitation that we call forced labor slavery. And that is where people are held against their will and forced to do different types of work. Uh, some of those uh, employment types are formal professions within that are, that are legally acceptable, but the people aren't being paid for that work. And so we work to help uh, people who are stuck in brick kilns or working in the fishing industry or working in situations of domestic labor. We also work in areas of forced criminality so people who have gotten themselves or found themselves wrapped up in large criminal industries and forced to participate against their will. And so what we're doing is trying to help these justice systems work more effectively on behalf of the poor. We're doing that uh, by helping rescue people and provide relief to victims of oppression through partnerships with the local government. We're also working to try to ensure accountability. A core part of IJM's model is trying to ensure that accountability is there because we believe, and we have proven actually around the world, that where you see impunity end, you will also see the violence itself end. But we, we don't stop there. We actually are also working with the survivors that are coming out of these situations to help bring restoration and healing into their lives. And then we're also working to scale that demand for protection, trying to generate movements within these countries and within the international community to care more about the plight of these people. It sounds like a multi-level approach and it goes along often with what we say here that you just use what God has given you as your gift. And so it sounds like you have people who are using their gifts at many different levels with the government and also with the people who then need healing when they come out of it. What sort of jobs could you sort of raise here and say to us, or oh, people do this kind of job and that kind of job? Sure, absolutely. And, that, and that's one of the things I've really appreciated about this podcast is that you're really bringing life to the fact that individual people uh, have a very important role to play. Whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a social worker, everybody fits into God's plan for his church and, and the community that he's put on this earth. Uh, and IJM is, is that in many ways around the world. So on my team, uh, I have lawyers and social workers. I have lobbyists that lobby the Cambodian government. Uh, I have uh, finance people and people who uh, recruit new staff and manage our compliance and our operations. 
Um, there are folks that measure the effectiveness of our program that work on our team, people who are planning for the next year. There's a whole range of different professionals that work for IJM in Cambodia and around the world. The breadth is even greater. That was very kind of you to say that. Thank you. And yes, this is what we're trying to say. It doesn't matter what gifts God's given you. Use them for his kingdom. So for you, Jake, was it a straightforward journey to get into IGM? How did you become qualified for this role? So I would actually say that I am not qualified. I don't know that anyone is qualified to be a country director for IJM. Uh, but I, I, I do feel placed here. And it certainly ha- has stretched me in the ways that I was not qualified for when I arrived. But yeah, in, in terms of my journey... My career, as it were, started out with an internship at IJM in 2008. I was uh, an accounting major in undergrad, and I had interned with one of the big four, and I thought I was going to go and do that. Uh, But before I I went down that path, I had a friend who was working in the finance department of IJM, and she was like, hey, before you go and work for Deloitte, why don't you come and see what accountants do in this other side of of the industry? So this internship was was basic. It was a three-month unpaid opportunity that I thought was basically just filling time before I started my longer-term career plans, but it utterly changed the, the course of my life. It was the first open window to a world outside of the U.S., a view for me for the first time that most people around the world didn't grow up with the sort of choices and opportunities that I had to choose to be an accountant or a lawyer or to go work for a nonprofit or for the government or whatever it is that you think you're going to do. And those people lack those opportunities because of forces of violence that they are not protected from that leaves them in cycles of poverty and abuse and oppression. And it introduced me to uh, a group of people who I felt a strong affinity towards and an admiration for the type of work they were doing. I didn't uh, go to work for them because, frankly, at that point, I was totally unqualified for any job that was available at the point. Uh, But it it changed the the trajectory of my life, and I chose uh, actually not to pursue accounting uh, and instead went and worked overseas, actually through a connection that I made at the internship. So fast-forwarding about 10 years from there to 2018, I was working on the Colombian-Venezuelan border for a research consultancy that was evaluating programs that were designed to protect vulnerable migrants from violence and, and to provide services to them. And through that experience, I actually was growing quite skeptical that many of these programs were addressing the core issue, which is a lack of accountability for the violent exploiters themselves. And I, I had a chance encounter in Colombia with a man by the name of Pablo Vieta, who is IJM's president for Latin America. And my conversations with Pablo uh, over a series of a couple of months really reminded me that, one, I wanted to realign my career with a Christian mission, that I, I got into this job and this role and this field, as it were, of international development because I really believe that God has put a call to his church to care about people living in poverty. Uh, And I also pragmatically really believe that strengthening public justice system's ability to deliver accountability is really core to protecting vulnerable people. And I saw that as something that was missing from the larger development and humanitarian space. And so about a year later, I got an email from Pablo saying, hey, there is a job leading IJM's work in Cambodia that actually works to protect vulnerable migrant workers from violence. 
uh, which is the type of work that I was doing, or at least evaluating programs. And I applied without thinking twice, and then a few months later, uh, found myself moving to Cambodia with my pregnant wife right before the start of the pandemic. Wow, that was quite a big jump. Do you have people question you when they say, why on earth are you leaving the normal American life, especially, like you just said, with your pregnant wife? I think, frankly, no, not not too many people have questioned it. Um, I think that is part of how God works in our lives, uh, is we end up moving in directions that are at least somewhat consistent with the communities in which we've been placed. And ultimately, that larger community that we need to be listening to is the church writ large. Obviously, that's a massively diverse body around the world. I'm saying that to say that, that actually the community that I have found myself within is one which is supported uh, that sense of a calling and that sense of this is the culmination of what my experience and skills and interests have, have prepared me and Rachel for. Um, and so we felt actually uh, incredibly well supported, cared for by our community as we've entered this venture and, and gone about it. You're listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Jacob Sims. We'd love you to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a rating and review on your favourite platform. It helps us a lot and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Earlier, Jake, you were talking about choice and the choices that many of us have when we live in freedom. Do you think that choice can become an idol? I do, absolutely. And and first I'll say... It is a beautiful thing that we have choices, and that's something that I am quite thankful for and don't want to, to downplay. I have found myself uh, in, a, in a career that I find fulfilling, um, doing something, again, that's at the intersection of my skills and passions and experience, and that's an enormous privilege and an enormous blessing, but pursuit of that ultimate choice, that belief that by making the right choice or having the ability to choose that we can somehow be set free or reach some higher plane of existence is, I think, almost by definition an idol. And it certainly can become something of a pathology or an addiction. Um, And that's actually a key theme of the book that I have just recently published that was released on April 1st, titled Wanderlust. A key theme of that book is the simple fact that there is a large number of people in the United States and in the wealthy Western world today who are driven by pursuit of that idol. Or another way of saying that is driven by the pursuit of substitutes for meaning and significance and belonging. And one of those substitutes uh, is this ideal and this passionate pursuit of choice and the customization of our lives. You know, I, I think I've run down that road for a long time and probably in many senses I'm still running down it, but at least maybe I'm aware of it now. But ultimately, we're not going to find fulfillment by finding that perfect intersection of skills and interest and experience. We're not going to find fulfillment by choosing the perfect job or the perfect spouse or the perfect place to live, or the perfect way to decorate our home. Because ultimately, life is not about what you do, or how much money you make, or where you go, or who you marry, but ultimately it's about who you become. Uh, And who you become as a Christian is someone, ultimately, and again, even who you become, is not going to help you find fulfillment per se, but it may help you move closer to a sense of peace and contentment, which is actually 
better and more in line with what we're promised. Uh, and who you become needs to be someone that is increasingly able to open your hands to whatever God has in store. Very good. Yeah. Are you saying that self-preservation is often what we try and lean into? And is there a better way? I think so. I mean, someone very wise, uh, a former IJM staffer named Sean Litton, told me once, the purpose of life is not to try to stay alive. Like at the end of the day, if your whole life is bent on trying to perpetuate your own existence, ultimately you're going to fail, uh, first of all. Uh, we're all going to die at some point. And then you're going to spend the very limited, time-bound, particular moment that you have to be on this planet striving for something that you can't attain. And, and, and ultimately, this is, this is one of the things that gives me hope in my work. You know, IJM's work is, is facing a lot of really, really dark things. And I'm surrounded on a daily basis by people. You know, most of my team are Cambodians. They're people who are living... Uh, in a society very, very different from the United States. And uh, they're taking on very, very real risks to stand with people who frankly have very little to offer them. Uh, they're taking risks to their reputation, to their finances, uh, sometimes to even to their lives. And I think that's the moment where we start to see what life is actually about. And it's the moment where you actually start to really understand and begin to emulate the story that Christ came to tell us. And, and then, uh, if the worst happens, if uh, someone gets beaten up or goes to jail or if somebody uh, gets killed, God forbid, and these are not hypotheticals, people in the IJM universe have actually lost their lives for this work, but if this happens uh, and that's your perspective, then you know that you're not doing it for a cause or a movement or a political ideology. You're doing it for love and solidarity and reconciliation. And that's something worth living for and it's something worth dying for. Yes, something worth living for and something worth dying for. When you go into communities and you're doing your work, are you always saying, I am a Christian and I come in the name of Jesus? Or do you often have to just live out those truths through the way that you behave and speak? IJM as an organization views our work as missional. Uh, we're a Christian-inspired organization through and through and not, and not in a lukewarm sense. This is an organization that is driven and led by deep prayer and spiritual reflection and seeking God's guidance in the work that they do. But it is also simultaneously not one uh, that is overtly evangelical. You know, everywhere that IJM works, we have memorandums of understanding with our government partners. Uh, and in many contexts where we work, it's not legally acceptable for organizations that work closely hand in hand with the government to proselytize, to uh, try to convert people, to, to speak about their religious faith. And IJM uh, tries to honor that so that we can remain in those countries and can remain being the hands and feet. Maybe my point here is to say you know, the body is made up of many, many parts. And IJM as staff members and as individuals, many, many of them have a strong bent towards proclaiming the gospel. But as an organization, we recognize that our role is limited to this hands and feet more than mouth frequently. And it's a point of tension across the organization, but it's also, I think, a really, really beautiful thing to be with people and to be a part of an organization that is saying core to the gospel 
is being God's heart for justice to the poor. We view our work uh, and our support and work in solidarity with the poor as gospel in and of itself. And that's not complete. It's not the entire call of what the church is here to do, uh, but it is our part of the body. Yeah, so hands and feet more than mouth is exactly what many people are finding in their jobs day to day now anyway. So how can we continue using just our hands and feet and not necessarily always talking about Jesus? How do we support each other in the church to do that? So people listening today are not doing the job that you do, Jake. They might be going into school. They might be going to an office where they can't actually talk about Jesus without risking losing their job. How do we be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we are today? I think we can live out the good news by emulating the life that Jesus lived. This kind of takes me back to my reflection, which also admittedly was an adaptation from uh, the book that I referenced earlier as well. And I maybe just want to reiterate that that good news, the way that Jesus lived it, was proclaiming things, but it also was being. And I think that being, being with people who are suffering, and showing them that God is with them as well uh, is a really important part of what it means to share the gospel. And I think it's honestly a part that is oftentimes missed if we just go in with our words. So when we find ourselves in situations where we're constrained in our speech and what we can say, that gives us an opportunity to exercise those other muscles of gospel proclamation, which oftentimes get underused when we go in and just want to communicate what it is that God's put on our heart. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's really good. I think it would be amiss of me to leave our conversation without talking a little bit about the madness of marathon running. So you enjoy a good marathon, don't you? To say you enjoy a marathon is, is only something you can say if you've never run one. <laughs> but there is something about them that certainly is uh, a spiritual experience. And not marathons in particular in terms of like the 42.2 kilometer run but instances of physical exertion that push your body past what you think uh, you can do. You know, that's maybe a, a place where you find yourself beyond what you think you can do, where you, you're required to release some level of control. Um, and I think very, very frequently, you know, I at least am, am someone who's quite caught up in trying to solve problems, trying to control outcomes, trying to help make sure things work properly and that lots of different people or teams are all moving in the right direction. And it's very easy, uh, you know, if you live in that world to try to hold on to things. And frankly, it doesn't take very much to push our bodies past the limits of where we feel comfortable. And marathon running or ultra marathon or long distance trail running or uh, the other sort of endurance sports that I've engaged in at sort of a moderate level of proficiency have always and every time been uh, a reminder to me of, of a deeper spiritual reality uh, and a physical reality uh, where I'm not in control uh, and I, I don't have any chance at transcendence by myself and that ultimately my, my abilities come from somewhere else. And, and when you realize that and you realize the, the finite nature of your being, I think it's realigning and it puts things into proper perspective. 
That thought that my abilities come from somewhere else is really encouraging because I need God in every area of my life. I really do. It's been really, really wonderful chatting to you today, Jake. I know people are going to want to get in touch with you with IJM to find out your book. I have read it. You should read it too. Tell us where we can find all these things, please. So IJM.org is uh, the best way to get in touch with IJM. There's lots of resources on that website. You're certainly also welcome to reach out to me, jsims at IJM.org. It's a very simple email address. Uh, And the book can be found at any of your major online book retailers. And again, the title is Wander Lost Stories from the Winding Road to Significance. Thanks. And that's W-A-N-D-R, like you're wandering around. Thank you so much. I wonder if there's someone listening today who thinks, actually, I'd like to use my skills and see if I can help IJM. If that's you, just contact Jake and you can have a chat. Jake, it's been really, really amazing talking to you today. It's it's helped me think about how I can just be around people. And I think today I'm going to ask God to lead me beyond my comfortable, because that's really where we can meet him. Thanks so much for inspiring us with your story today, Jake. It's been great having you here on God in the Ordinary. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to God in the Ordinary with my guests, Jacob Sims and me, Sharon Tedford. You can get in touch with Jake and find out more about International Justice Mission at IJM.org. For our show notes, go to 61-things.com. This podcast is a Wise Word Radio 61 Things co-production. We pray that you're encouraged to reveal God in your everyday.